Strategic Living with Brian Holmes, episode number 70, an interview with author and speaker Wayne Jacobson. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. You have found the Strategic Living Podcast where we're all about transforming minds, developing leaders, awakening dreams, activating destinies. That's right. We believe that there's more for you. There's great things in store for you. We want to see you become all that God has created you to be and live the life that he intended you to live. It's going to be an awesome program today. What an incredible conversation that I was honored to have with my new friend, Wayne Jacobson, I believe you're going to enjoy it and be transformed by it. Let's get started, everybody. Hey, I'm so glad to have you with us today, and this is going to be a, a really powerful time for you. My wife and I have been on an incredible journey for the last number of years, probably three years now, and we have been learning by the Father's leadership, how to relate to God in a way that is profound. I've been saved most of my life. I've been a church kid from the time I was born, and I have always loved God and always wanted to serve Him and do well. But I tell you what, over the last several years, my mind has been opened to the idea that He loves me. That sounds crazy, right, that uh, that all these years of being in and around religion, that we talk about the love of God, yet most people don't know how to to live in the Father's love, how to engage Him, how to just enjoy His pleasure. And in this particular interview today, I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with Wayne Jacobson. Wayne travels the world helping people sort out some of the teachings of Jesus, helping them to find freedom from performance-based religion, helping them to embrace a relationship with God that is completely rooted in the Father's affection toward them. Wayne is a former pastor, and he has worked with people all over the world for many, many years. And he has an incredible podcast called The God Journey. You can find that at thegodjourney.com. And that podcast is really about challenging us to think outside the box of organized religion and really learning how to relate to God. He's written many books, including Learning to Live in the Father's Affection, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, Finding Church, In Season, A Man Like No Other. He is also the co-writer and publisher of The Shack, which is a New York Times bestselling book that sold over 20 million copies worldwide. And... One of his most incredible titles that he ever wrote was called He Loves Me, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Let's go right now to my interview with Wayne Jacobson. Wayne Jacobson, it's great to have you on the program today. I'm deeply honored that you're here. Thanks for coming today. 
Well, thanks for inviting me, Brian. I'm looking forward to this time and looking forward to getting to know you better. Well, for our audience uh, who's listening today, I have only recently met Wayne and, and not even in person. We've met over the phone and had some conversation and but I've been listening to his podcast, The God Journey, now for, gosh, close to a year. And my wife and I both enjoy that just immensely. It's been a real blessing in our lives. We've also read uh, a number of your books, and you've recently published a brand new book called Finding Church. And the book we're going to talk about today, and just the topic that I love so much, is uh, the book you wrote on He Loves Me, and just that that idea that there is a relationship that the Father wants to have with us that goes way outside the scope of what we've been taught all of our lives. So I'm excited just to dive in here and, and have this wonderful conversation with you, man. Uh, first, let me say it's an honor to get to know you. I love connecting with great leaders who who are on a journey themselves and are willing to share their own process, to share their own progress, and to uh, point some of us who are a little further behind in this journey uh, in a direction that's healthy and wonderful. So thanks for that. You're welcome. It's a it's a great journey, I tell you. And the, the book you're talking about, He Loves Me, is will always be my personal favorite. That's the biggest transition in my life, moving from this fear-based, appeasement-based relationship to learning to live in the Father's affection. It's interesting to hear you say that you have a favorite book of all the books you've written. Uh, it's kind of like having a favorite child, I suppose, right? Oh, not at all <laughs> like that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I think I, I, I like them all for different reasons, but this one, because this is my story. This is what transformed my life, getting a, a better view of God than the one I'd been given. Wonderful. You know, I'd love for you just to to give us the the short version, the summary of what that initial process for you was like. What what prompted that beginning for you, and, and how did it all unfold? Well, it's it's an ongoing story, actually. I very young age, eight, nine, ten. I'm having desires about God and moments of prayer that, you know, we're not blinding, no burning bushes in the in the woods or anything, but just the sense that I wasn't alone in the universe, and this is a God I wanted to know. And we were we were church people growing up, so we attended a lot of that stuff. And I get a lot of mixed messages. I read the Gospels and I'm endeared to this Jesus, and yeah, I'm getting a lot of teaching about to to get this Jesus. You've got to work really hard, jumping through these hoops. Mm-hmm. And I'm a good hoop jumper, so I jump through <laughs> hoops a lot. And 20 years a pastor, and trying to get other people to jump through hoops that I thought were supposed to be helpful. Underneath all that is this growing frustration that the relationship I want isn't really connecting, and I'm doing all I know to do. And then I went through a, a betrayal of a close friend that uh, absolutely ripped my life apart. Um, he announced my resign. He's a, he's my co-pastor at a church we'd helped to plant together, and uh, he announced my resignation one Sunday when I was speaking elsewhere. And uh, I came back and angry and got to fix this now. And we've been having some issues kind of coming into it. So now they were exposed. I had the power, the popularity to fix it all. But I felt like God put this thought in my heart. And as Sarah, my wife of now almost 40 years, as we were sharing that together, it just seemed to be more and more that might be God. And the phrase in my head was, I have more to teach you if you walk away than if you stay. Hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. I'm the third of four boys, grew up on a farm. I'm willing to fight even if I lose as long as you get bloodied up a bit. <laughs> and so I'm I'm really wrestling with what what do I do about that? 
and really concluded in the end that that was what he was asking. And so we went through this loss of job, loss of friends, loss of reputation, loss of income. Wow. And in, in that space of brokenness and just saying, God, whoever you are, I really want to know you as you really are. And that prayer began to come up in my heart. And over the next two years, we began to meet people, discover him, God, in ways that was more endearing and loving than I'd been taught and really critical. And I think it plays into the, he loves me. The third section is all about the cross because mm. six months into this broken period, we heard some brothers in Australia share about the cross that's consistent with what I wrote in that part of the book. And it changed me. When I first heard it, I didn't believe it could be true because how could, how could this story be true? And I've not been told it. And I've been around Bible-believing churches and universities and seminars all my life, and no one ever talked about the atonement that way. But it absolutely put God in the conversation in a very different way than I had been taught that he was. Well, I tell you what, I'd love to hear you share some of that. I read that section of the book. I've read the book, and, and uh, that perspective on the cross, uh, I'm not going to call it controversial, but it's certainly outside of the, the box a little bit, but it impacted me as well. I've, I have felt that that perspective was right for some time, but, man, you framed it in a way that was so wonderful. Give us a, a snapshot of that. Yeah, it's it's hard because particularly when you've been raised with this idea. Here's the idea I was raised with: God created a perfect world, and we defiled it, and He's offended by that, and so He sets this edict that the soul that sins shall die, and that's the punishment. And then He comes up with this great plan of salvation that Jesus will come and take our punishment for us, so we get a get out of hell free card, and we can go live with Him forever. And I'm, I'm all about substitutionary punishment. When I was growing up on that farm and mom and dad caught the wrong brother and taken him to the woodshed and it was supposed <laughs> to be me, I, I'm all about substitutionary punishment. If that's the real story, I'm actually okay with that story. But the problem with the story is that doesn't endear us to God. Right. I, I was endeared to Jesus. Man, Jesus, thank you for jumping in the way of this mean, nasty God that kills when he's dissatisfied and... I'm glad you took that for me, but now how am I endeared to the Father? And one of the scriptures that always bugged me was Romans 8, where Paul would say, now we know that if he did not, who did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how we know now God will not deny us anything, and now neither height nor depth nor angel principality. He goes on and on. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. And it bothered me because I didn't get to the love of the Father through the cross. I, I get to the love of Jesus but because the father was the one doing it to the son, the father was the one mm. being satisfied by the death of the son. And I think that's where we get it wrong. I, I don't think there's anything in scripture that says Jesus died to satisfy something in God. Mm. Jesus died for us, for you and me. Yes. The estrangement for God was on our side. It wasn't on his side. He so loved the world that he sent his son. So the story is not, okay, God's upset. He's got to kill something. So he chooses the most pure, perfect thing that's ever lived and whacks it up really good. So now his need for justice is sated. But instead, father and son themselves, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. That's Paul's language. And it's, it's not just guilty of my sins. He became sin itself. And I, I think what that what we try to write about there and, and talk to people about is the love of the Father meets the sin in the Son 
until love consumes sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. So it's not God doing to Jesus what satisfies him. It's God doing in Jesus. This love and sin met together till sin is consumed. And then our shame is alongside that as well. So now I can walk with God today knowing that I am loved at my most broken. Not when I get everything right. I'm loved at my most broken, and therefore God can come to me at my most broken and begin this incredible process of transformation. Wow. Well, let's step back just a little bit, and let me ask you this question. Where where have we gotten it so wrong? And I must, that's a monster question that could open a massive can of worms, but how how is it that along the way we shifted into this mindset of fear-mongering, the get-out-of-jail mindset, uh, and you'll forgive me for being so blunt, but my listeners are used to this. I was raised in the kind of church where, you know, I think the preacher's first objective was to scare the hell out of us or or get us into the altar, and I I don't know. It was always about hell. It was always about punishment. It was always about you know, Jesus is coming tomorrow, you know, and if you're not ready, you're going to burn to a crispy fry, you know, and it was just always this fear motivation, this performance driven piece. It was always, can you do enough? Can you perform well enough? Can you be mistake free enough to earn your ticket in? And how, how do we ever get off on that kind of a mindset and leave behind this precious revelation of the love of the father? And it's almost double talk, isn't it? You, get, you know, it's by grace through faith. So you get your get out of hell free card just for repenting and God forgiving, but then to keep that card. <laughs> right, it's right. Like we right. add all this other stuff to it. And I do think it's just like anything else in our world works. The, the way the world works is through fear. That's why you obey the traffic laws when the highway patrolman is behind you. That's, that's, I mean, that's why you pay your taxes. That's why we, the world conforms behavior through fear. And I think religion has just taken on the same tactic. If we keep people scared, we can keep them on the straight and narrow, so to speak. I don't think what we've wrestled with enough, and Christianity is definitely guilty of this, is that when Jesus came in the incarnation, his desire was to win by love and affection what fear and obedience could never win. That, that God mm. put all his eggs in this basket. Love, not fear, is the most powerful force in the universe. Now, where we're conflicted with that is, I think, is we, we think of human love. We, we loved our parents, but look at all the things we did behind their back. So oh, yeah. sure, <laughs> hopefully sure. they wouldn't get caught. So we, we look at love as a pretty wimpy thing. The love of God, the, the knowing that you're endeared to the father of the universe is the most powerful transformational reality in the world. When we lose sight of that, and I think Galatians is a, is a good example of that, Paul definitely sets them in that mindset. You know, who, before your eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. So they had a sense of how deeply loved by God they were. But then others had come in saying, oh, you can't just have that love stuff, you know, if you don't do the right stuff. And they begin to switch the message from you are loved, be transformed in that reality to here's the the hoops we need you to jump through for this to work well. And I think you can go back through church history and see that same need. It is easier for me to motivate people through fear than it is to engage them with the love of the Father. But the love of the Father is the only thing that ultimately transforms. Yes. You know, I, I'm just sitting here remembering a conversation that uh, I had when I was courting my then 
girlfriend slash fiance, who is now my wife of 25 years. Hey, congratulations. Uh, she, her folks, you know, I, I, I'm an honest guy pretty much across the board. I, I live my life pretty much as an open book. I just, that's just how I've always kind of been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did not want to mislead them because by that early stage in my life, I'd already begun to move away from some of the very um, legalistic leanings of my upbringing. I just, I, I began to understand a little bit about grace. I began to understand more and more about the love of God. Did not fully have a revelation of the Father uh, for various reasons, but one of the things I began to share with them was about grace and how there's no way that we can come to him and be justified in that kind of a way and then in the same breath now have to perform this this list of of tremendous do's and don'ts and and avoids and what have you in order to maintain that status and i remember distinctly my soon to be mother-in-law at that point saying you know i just don't think i'll ever be saved and now this is a person who's been in quote unquote the church in the religious system uh, had accepted Christ at a very early age in their uh, particular church setting. They had, you know, even gone through the process of of baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit and all these different things. And she says to me, "I don't know that I can ever do enough to be saved." Mm-hmm. And that screamed at me because here's a person who I know loves God, who I know uh, believes in the the scriptural uh, idea of. Jesus coming to the earth to redeem us back to God, but had no concept that it, our our acceptance in him was not contingent upon our ability to perform to a level that was acceptable to anybody. And and I just, I'm hearing this from you, and I'm reading, of course, your book here, and I'm thinking to myself, how did we miss it? How did we shift into such a performance-driven culture within the, the church of the living God to where we have missed the love of God. And uh, just shifting here, I'm going to come back to, to a question that I have in burning in me right now. But in my own life, I struggle with a lot of things growing up. My testimony's very public. But one of the things that kept me from receiving the healing and the restoration I needed was is because internally I did not know how to receive the love of God because, again, my perception of him did not allow for that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, man, just talk to me a little bit more about this this process of shifting out of that old, legalistic, uh, very constrictive, limiting mindset into receiving this this incredible revelation, but not just in your head, but in your heart. How does that happen? Well, I think it happens in as many different ways as there are people listening to us. That's the problem. I haven't got four good, easy yeah, steps yeah, yeah. to jump from A to B. I hear a little bit of your story. Come on, you need a formula, don't you? We all need a uh, formula. Yeah, well, we, there isn't one. I, I think God awakens us to this reality. Where where that happens theologically, it's something you hear that gets in there. It's It's just your dissatisfaction or frustration with what you hear. I love your reaction to someone saying, I don't know if I've done enough. I think that enough language is exactly the language of the accuser of the brethren. Yes, sir. If we're going to get down to how much scripture reading do you need to do? How many unbelievers do you need to share Jesus with? How much time in prayer should you spend? And we get down to, does anybody do that enough? We're, we're into the performance language. Yes. But when you're motivating people to work hard to build your institution slash religion slash denomination, 
I just think that's the language they fall into and I fell into back in the day. Just as you, you think you're doing good for people by trying to get them to do the right thing. And so you're not too worried about what motive you're using to get them there. Now, how does somebody dry out from all that? I think you got to get away from it. You got to get away from the language. Mm. You've got to get away from those voices in your life that are always saying you're not doing enough. You need to work harder and you need to give place to this awakening. I, I asked someone, asked me the other day, what do you tell someone who's wanting to know God? What do you tell them to do? And I said, I just tell them to wake up tomorrow morning or start this afternoon and just say, God, I want to know you as you really are. If you love me, I want to see it. Would you show that to me? And then just keep your eyes open. He may do that through a conversation, something you read, something you hear, by just growing thoughts in your own heart and life. And yes, they're going to sing up, they're going to seem upside down with what you've been taught. If God were to walk up to any of us and just say, Man, I really love you. And you were raised, you were raised in a religious context, that wouldn't seem believable to you. Right. If God were to say, look, I'm a little bit ticked at you and I'm frustrated, I'm angry that you won't get this right, that we'd all say, Oh yeah, that's God, that's God. But it God's the other voice. God's not the accusing voice. He's the gentle I love you. I delight in you. And we're going to say, yeah, but God, look, I'm, I, my life's all messed up. And God's saying, I love you. I, I know it's messed up. I don't love everything you do. I don't love everything you think. I just love you. And I get that better as a grandpa. I have my three-year-old, seven-year-old grandkids over here, and they, they can throw their tantrum, pitch a fit. The thing that used to, when I was a parent, I got to win this battle with my child. Now I just look at them pitching a fit going, what? A three-year-old does that. I'm not going to encourage the fit. I'm not going to, but I don't love him less when he's pitching it than before. It's just, I feel bad for him. I'm just, oh man, I'm sorry you're going to go down this road today because now mom's going to have a bit of a deal with you and you've got to work through all that. And I think it's just by letting, and I think the Holy Spirit is the primary one to do this. He's the one that guides us into all truth, but he's going to let those things about God as he really is surface in our heart and mind. But it may be that we have to take a step away from the legalistic religious voices. that, And that's hard. That sometimes invites people to risk family and, you know, our heritage. And But if you're around people that are always performance, got to try harder, work harder, God's a little bit disappointed in you unless you do this or that, it's going to be hard to see into this new reality of God awakening in you. You are deeply loved by God. And I... You've got to find it from him. It's not take my words and compare them with the words of the preacher you grew up with and try to figure out who's right theologically. It's got to come back to God, who are you? Mm -hmm. And will you show me who you are? And he will do it. What about the person who, for whatever reasons, has really struggled with what we would commonly call sin issues, has had maybe some significant failures in their life, and it, those, of course, exacerbate this perception that, man, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to to receive God's approval. How do we how do we help that man or that woman or that young person understand that in spite of quantum failures, daddy still loves you? Yeah, we can't as long as we're a performer. If I think God loves me because I've written books, I've traveled, I've done good stuff for God, then there's no way I can love somebody at their most broken and help them know the God that loves them. Love is not about approval. Mm. I, I, that disconnect needs to happen for us. Yes. 
Uh, I love my kids no matter what they do. If I were to find out my son, you know, was a serial rapist in Los Angeles and got arrested today, I'd be the first one down there with him. And I would I would want him out of society. I would want him to go through the legal system, but I'd be in it with him and I would love him every day of his life. Nothing about what he does affects my love for him. Right, right. And we got to get that sorted out with God. Yeah, I'm broken. I'm damaged. When when I was a good Pharisee, and I, I always talked about 20 years ago, I started my Pharisectomy and still in the process <laughs> of that thing. But when I was I a good like Pharisee, yeah, you know, when I was a good Pharisee working hard and thinking, you know, God approves me because I'm I'm doing more for him than other people I know. Man, I'm a danger to broken people. And I think that's what most broken people have mostly heard from. They mostly hear about God, if you want to go back to the parable of the prodigal, from the older brothers. Mm-hmm. I've been here. I've been doing all the right stuff. You don't, you you should be punished for what you've done. And we need to hear love from people who understand that at my moment. See, today I'm much more honest about my life. I know the broken places in Wayne's life that God loves me through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have this illusion that anything I've done has made me approved before God. I'm loved. Now, I want to live my life in a way that delights my Father's heart. I do. That's where transformation comes from. But you've got to start with, I'm loved even at my most broken. It doesn't matter what sin. That's why Paul said he was saved so that by saving the chiefest of sinners, God could show his unlimited patience. And he was the Osama bin Laden of his day, killing people for his misguided view of faith. Wow. And God, Paul said, the only reason I got saved was so that God could show his unlimited patience. So I, I say to people who've been through horrific sins in their life, and, and maybe not just sins, maybe abuse, they just feel, it wasn't what they did, but what others did to them that makes them feel dirty and disgusting. Saying those things don't make you dirty and disgusting to God. They endear you to him. Just like your, if your four-year-old got cancer, you wouldn't blame them for any of it. You would love them, and you would be in that journey with them. That's how God views our sin, and people need to get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that's just so powerful. Well, let me ask you this question, uh, and this, this is a bridge, I suppose, not necessarily away from the, the context of He Loves Me, but certainly it accompanies this. How do we begin to shift our mind and our heart in that same way away from religion, which demands performance, which woos us out of this need to meet expectations or seek approval, over into this place of intimate, powerful, wonderful relationship with our Father, where we're not just, as you said, we're not just living for Him, we're living with Him. I love how you put that in the book. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we make that transition? How do we, let me make this, let me make this easier. How do we begin the process of moving in that direction? Yeah, that, that's good. Cause I, I, as far as do we have the responsibility to do this? We don't. Right, right. This has got to be a I, work I caught God myself. does. Yeah, no, I love when you back up. Now, how do we start this one? We've got to, well, it helps to hang out with people who talk about God differently. Yes. It, it really does. And even if it's just you hang out through a podcast or if you, if you don't get the face-to-face, the face-to-face is always better. But if you don't know anybody in this conversation, then let some things where people are soak into your heart and mind. Yes. 
But at the same, and, and as I said earlier, get away from voices that are performance condemnation based. They're not speaking God's life to you. And that may be your family, so you can't like cut them out of your life, but you just, you, you listen to what they say and you nod, but you don't take it in. You just don't let it have access to your heart. But I, Jesus, but I, I love the Matthew 6 stuff, the, the um, mm-hmm. where he's talking at the, uh, I keep saying the feeding of the 5,000. It's the uh, Sermon on the Mount. There, there you go. go. That's the one. Looking for the term. And uh, he says, what I'm trying to get you to do is to relax. If you can't do this stuff like growing yourself an inch by worrying in a mirror, why are you trying to do the big stuff, which is, I think, connecting with God? And he says, I'm trying to get you to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting that you can't respond to God's giving. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's the message from Eugene Peterson. I love that language. I think that's the shift that's got to happen in us. Religion is all about how do I get from God? How do I get a ministry? How do I get forgiven? How do I get God's will? How do I get, get, get? And the shift that happens for us is, okay, God, I'm going to wake up today. And I'm going to say, God, be in my life today. Show me what you want me to know. Lead me into your grace and glory. Teach me how loved I am by you. And I think then we're looking as we go through our day for fingerprints of God, ways God makes himself known. God wins us into his affection. I don't think it's just a theological fight, like we're going to jump through this set of scriptures against that set of scriptures and try try to come to... And I'm a scripture guy. I love the scriptures. I think they bear witness to everything that we are talking about. Yes, but they can also be misconstrued and twisted by religious voices. And I, I think what's more important than knowing the book, as important as the book is to me, is knowing the author of that book. And yes. God wants to make himself known in your heart. And I think that's by focus, attention, giving place to that, going for a walk now and then, and without your iPad and your iPhone and all that stuff, and just listen for what God might put in your heart as you're in his creation, or or just a moment of quiet. It doesn't have to be long. Just take 10 seconds when you get in the car, instead of turning on the, the radio or CD or whatever, just have a moment, say, God, what are you showing me today? And, yes. and give him an opportunity to breathe into your heart where you'll recognize it. He'll win us into his love. It's the same way in a courtship thing, you know. You, you hope in a, in a healthy courtship, I think. I I met Sarah. I decide, man, I really like that girl. I'm going to win her into my love. I'm not going to demand it of her. I'm not going to force it on her. I want to win her into my love. And God does that so well if we let Him and have the focus that opens the door to that. It's fabulous, fabulous. One of the things that uh, I shared with you, I think in our conversation a week or so ago on the phone is in 2012, uh, God invited me to go on a a journey with him for about five days. I went away just on a retreat, a spiritual retreat, a time away with the Lord, no real agenda, just, just to get away, clear the clutter and do what you just described to say, you know, I'm tired of, of striving through this thing. And I really want to learn what it means to hear your voice, to be led by your spirit to participate with what you're already doing and what you're saying, and to just engage the relational aspect of day to day life with you. Yeah, and I and tell where you, was, where was this in your in your journey, Brian? Was this early on when you're kind of opening to these things, or was it kind of in the middle of it? When did when did this retreat happen for you? Really, you know, back in 2008, 2009, we went through some difficult times with our our ministry, and by ministry I'm talking about, you know, our church that we were pastoring, some 
just the typical challenges that you have when dealing with the system. And that caused me to begin to look and to sense and to wonder, I guess, W-N-D-E-R. I was wondering, okay, what's, what's this about here? And along about 2012, well, late part of 11 into 12, I, I just sensed that God wanted me to come away. He wanted to begin to redefine some things in me. So it was just a few years ago now yeah. when, when I was kind of drawn away. And on that particular retreat, I, I had several key things happen, but one fairly major moment with the Father. And frankly, that was the beginning. I would call that the, the beginning, the beginning of this shift to where we began to just say, God, what are you doing? That's what we want to be doing. We don't want to be yeah. chasing all this other stuff here that that everyone expects us to do and what have you. We want to follow hard after you. Trust this nothing you talk about in your book. Learn what it means to live in trust. I trust that you're going to show me my next step. It's all good. I'm not, I don't need to know the whole plan. You know yeah. that whole yeah. type of thing. So it's just been a few years now. But as we began to walk that out, something shifted in us, and we began to learn how to walk out what you were just sharing a moment ago, which is engaging him day to day, just doing life with God. Yeah. And I, so when you, when this retreat started for you, would, would it be like you went really frustrated or hopeful or how did, wh- where were you in your life when this kind of thing happened for you? Were you really frustrated with what you've been part of? Were you just kind of looking for something new and hopeful or? You know what happens with me? And I, one day I think I need to write a book about this, but I, I've identified a process that I've experienced probably four times in my life. And I've just recently discovered what I think it looks like. And for me, it begins with discontent Hmm. and not so much frustration or anger. And sometimes you feel those emotions, but it's usually a sense of discontent, which means, okay, there's got to be something more. I I sense you want to, you want to reveal more to me. And there's something that I'm hungry for, but I don't have a clue what it looks like. But I know that what I'm doing right now is not it. Just this sense of discontent. This always then leads to step number two, which is disconnect, where your heart begins to disconnect from what you're so familiar with because you recognize intuitively that, okay, God, you're you're taking me somewhere, and I can't remain attached to this if I'm going to go there. Hmm. And then beyond that point, it's this discovery thing where God begins to open your eyes and, and open your heart, and you begin to see Okay, you get glimpses of where he's wanting to take you. And I, my experience of late, the last few years, has been he doesn't show you everything. He just shows you enough to see if you're going to respond to his invitation and trust him in the journey. He wants to go on a walk with us. He, uh, he doesn't there wanna, you go. He's going to give us a map and say, hey, go without me. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Just why don't we walk together, and I'll show you what's going on, and we'll do life together. I and- love that. I think that's a great invitation. I wish when people got saved. You see, when I got saved, I was nine years old when I first made a public profession. It was Billy Graham Crusade. Wow. And I got handed workbooks when I got done, you know, fill out. And I'm a good workbook filler outer. So the I had irony, done right? within 24 hours, sent it in, got a new one, filled it in. All the things I should be doing. And it was well-intentioned. I'm not, I'm not raining on that parade so much. But here's what I wish we told people who first come to faith. They're, they're opening door to faith. I wish we said, listen, why don't you take the next two years to just sort out how much God loves you. No, but what do I need to do? Eh, let's not worry about doing anything. Let's not worry about, well, should I read the Bible? Hey, you know what? The Bible's great, and there'll be a time when God invites you into that, and that'll be awesome. But you know what? The most important thing you need to sort out is how deeply loved you are by God. 
Yeah. And so why don't you and God just have that conversation? If it takes a couple of years to begin to sort that out, that'd be awesome. Now, wouldn't that be a great way to start? Instead, we got loaded up, so then we end up... And I, the two words I like from Scripture when we talk about old creation realities, frustration and futility. And I, I had a lot wow. of both of those. And I don't mean the super angry frustration. I just mean the frustration of, this isn't working. Or what it is working seems futile. It doesn't seem to rise to the level of fruitfulness that I think the scripture invites me into. And I think those are great things to get us to, as you said, disconnect or be disturbed enough mm -hmm. to make changes, look elsewhere, and see what reality God's opens up to us. But if we started with that, how, how just sort out how deeply loved you. I can't tell you. This is not a, something you can get in a class. Here's the five ways God loves you. This is about connecting with him in a way that you know his disposition towards you daily. And you'll find out God isn't angry and disappointed at you, that he loves you. He has great affection for you, even in your brokenness. Yes. And it's out of that affection that things begin to change in our life. Not because we change to make God happy. We change because his reality overwhelms ours and his is the better stuff. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that just came to my mind a moment ago, uh, and I, I so agree with you that we don't have to do anything to to come into this space. There is this idea, though, that Scripture teaches us, you know, where Jesus said, you know, knock and it will be open to you. Seek and you will find that whole idea. I think there is some posture, whether it be internally or outwardly or whatever, attitudinally that we take to say, God, I just I'm hungry for you. There's something more I know you're because you love me, you're drawing me, inviting me into this. So I'm going to lean into you a little bit. I'm going to, I'm not going to go trying to perform to find it, but I'm going to just, I'm going to lean in and start seeking and letting you know that I'm, I'm open. I want this thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that's powerful. I, I, the problem is with asking, seeking, and knocking is we were always given religious tools to do that. There you and go. I, I like saying, don't go down that road. Don't go down that, well, I'm going to read my Bible an hour a day. I'm going to pray two hours a day, and I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna get to know God better. I, just avoid all that. But the asking, seeking, knocking is just an attitude of my heart where I have had moments when I'm alone or, or whatever, I'm just saying, God, what is it about you I don't know today that you want me to know? I'm looking for the way he makes himself known. I think that's really critical. It's that attention turning away from just what the world throws at us and how we navigate the world through our own fears and insecurities and doubts and all that. And it begins to look into another world. I think that's what asking, seeking, knocking does. It looks to a different reality than what my baser emotions and motivations drive me towards every day. And that's where God makes himself known. It's in that space. I love it. There's a, there's a concept you mentioned several times in your book, He Loves Me, and it it just simply says learning how to live in love. The, the, the concept is living in love. Define that for us. What does that mean? Or uh, the expression I use now a lot is living loved. Okay. It's one thing to live unloved. It, and I think our securities, our fears, our sins all live in that area of, I don't know that I'm loved, therefore, and I like this definition of sin. I think it's in that book too, which uh, a brother gave me who helped me write the So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore book. He said, sin is grabbing for ourselves what God has not given us. And, and boy, I think that's that expresses everything about sin, what it was in the garden, what it is in my life. I'm grabbing things God hasn't given. Why? 
because I don't trust that I'm loved. And I don't trust that what God brings into my life is the better stuff. Therefore, to be happy, to be secure, to deal with my fears, all the coping mechanisms I do, that, that's just living unloved. The rich, the uh, prodigal son, when he leaves the father's farm, he takes all his inheritance and he goes out and lives as if he is not loved. But he is loved. The, the living wow. as if is in his heart. It's not in the father's. Even as he's leaving, he's not unloved. He's deeply loved. And it's finding our way back into, well, if I'm loved by the Father, doesn't that change everything about what I'm going through? It's not, oh, my child has cancer. Obviously, God doesn't love me. It's my child has cancer or I have cancer, but I am deeply loved by God, so I'm not going to be in this alone. And, and I think oftentimes we've, religion has used our calamities to prove God's not there rather than to set us at rest in the affection of the Father. And so living loved is not just, I have a grace theology or a love message or whatever. It's, I'm learning to live in the reality of Father's affection about the way I navigate life. And so I, if I'm not unloved, and therefore have to do all the things Wayne does to save himself, now I get to live loved and know that the Father is in this with me. Yeah, 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 And he has a way to sort things out. And it takes a long time, and I mean years, to learn to live at rest in that space. This is not something that, oh, we'll, we'll just go do this tomorrow. I've been living unloved. Tomorrow I'm going to live loved. I, I think this is a, a process over time where God wins his way into our heart. And that trust that you talked about earlier, it's where that trust grows. I trust God to the degree that I know that he loves me. And so when mm. I'm caught in a moment right now where you know something really bad's happening in my life and I've got anxiety going, I don't sit around and say, well, I'm really trusting God well. I'll say, God, there's something about you I don't know that if I knew it, I wouldn't be anxious here. I wouldn't be laying awake at three o'clock in the morning trying to sort out this thing. So God, what is it about you I don't know? And then let him over the next days, weeks, months, draw you into bigger space so that the anxiety goes away, not because you got good at ignoring it, but because love overwhelmed it. And now you trust that God's in this thing with you, and so you're not left to your own devices. Now you just said a tweetable. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I just said what a tweetable something. Okay. Yeah. A tweetable. And, and I'm sure maybe you've written this. I didn't see this quote in the book, but you said, I trust God to the degree that I know he loves me. That's huge. Yeah. That's in the book. That's a chapter on trust. There's oh, I a, missed that. My gosh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's just, we, we made trust. My religious upbringing trust was a choice. You know, we're, we're going to choose to trust God and we're going to put our all on the altar and we're going to all go home feeling better because we totally trusted God. And the next morning we wake up still struggling with the same stuff we struggled with. And yep. then we, you know, we took it off the altar, all the lies we tell ourselves, because we don't see this as a process God wins us into. If Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith, then my faith isn't even my job. It's mine to, like you said, ask, seek, not. It's mine to engage the relationship, let it grow. But trust is not a choice. It, it, it demonstrates exactly how much I know God loves me. And wow. when people, this is good in our society, because when people are, you really need to trust me, who asks for that? Con artists, abusers, <laughs> yeah. the people who want your trust haven't earned it. They just want you to trust them, even if you don't understand. And I, I think anybody who understands love says, I don't want you to trust me one bit beyond your conviction that I would lay down my life for you. And if you don't know that, don't trust me. Amazing. Because trust is one, just like love is.
Well, I want to encourage everyone who is listening to this podcast to get your hands on this book. In fact, I will just really encourage you to do it right now. You can go to our website, and we'll have a link to uh, to Wayne's website, so you can just order it directly from him. I want you to get your hands on this powerful revelation. I, I just have to tell you, this to me, and you and I talked about this uh, a week or so ago, this to me is a primer to anyone who is desiring to go on a journey with God to a different place than where they've been before. I, I'm not sure how anyone can get to a different expression of the church, different expression of how they uh, do life with other people or in their calling or in their purpose without first having this as a foundation, Wayne. So I, I'm going to say to everyone, just get the book. <laughs> now, where can they do that? Well, they, like you said, you can get it from our website, you get it from Amazon. He Loves Me is pretty out pretty broadly. You can probably get it at uh, most bookstores. Um, so it, it's out there. So Wayne Jacobson, that's J-O-C-O-B-S-E-N, Wayne Jacobson. He yeah. Loves Me, Learning to Live in the Father's Affection. I encourage you to get a hold of that. Wayne. And the uh, website is lifestream.org. Yes, thank you. Lifestream.org. Fabulous podcast, by the way, The God Journey. Uh, you and Brad do a great job uh, just engaging in conversation and including all of us in that. Thank you for that as well. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun, for sure. Well, man, I, I want to just say it's a tremendous honor, first of all, to get to know you better and to continue our relationship building process. And I want to thank you for uh, just pouring into the lives of those that are listening to the Strategic Living Podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and I, I really hope we can do this again very soon. You're welcome, and I hope someday you and I could take this face-to-face and get to sit down and have a cup of coffee together. You can bank on that. I'm going to fly to California, and we're going to do our thing. Or I might show up in Texas. Who knows? You know what? Either way, it'll work Alrighty. perfectly. Wayne Jacobson, thanks for ha- uh, being on the program today. We bless you. Thank you for all that you're doing to encourage others in this journey, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. You too, Brian. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview and the conversation we had with Wayne. What an incredible man. What an incredible message. If you want to comment on this episode, go to brianholmes.com forward slash 070. You'll find the show notes there and more information about Wayne and his websites and the things that he is doing around the world and how you can connect with him. Also, engage with us on Facebook. That's really our primary conversation starter, and we'd love to uh, have you engage with us there. Very quickly, we're going to be back with you here next week with another wonderful podcast. Also, encourage you to join us every Monday for Monday Mastery, our short video segments that equip, empower, and motivate you to become all God's created you to be. Really want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, and certainly you can find out more information about subscribing to it at brianholmes.com. If you jump over into iTunes there and you are enjoying what we're doing here on the podcast, be sure to rate us, leave us a review. That helps us to gain visibility and helps more people find out about what we're doing here at Strategic Living. Well, I trust that something we've shared today has been a blessing to you, that God has spoken to your heart, that you have learned, and that you are convinced that He loves you right where you are. Until next time, know this, you are created in His image. You are designed with a purpose. There's greatness in you, and the whole world is waiting for you to show up. Until next time, God bless. We love you. We bless you. 
Look forward to seeing you again back here very, very soon. <laughs>